I'm Danielle Levine, and you're listening to The Future Effect. The Future Effect is a weekly podcast bringing you the latest news and updates in Florida's child welfare system. This podcast is brought to you by the Future Effect Political Committee, a bipartisan effort to give Floridians an opportunity to get involved in the legislative and political process on behalf of Florida's children. All right. Welcome to the Future Effect. You're here with Danielle Levine and... Joe Durso. Why, why is there a question mark there? Was there a question mark? Joe yeah, you're Durso. Like Joe Durso? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm. I mean, I question myself all the time, so why not? I mean, that's a kind of a basic fact, though, that you think you would have that one pretty down pat. That's yeah, okay, well, you know. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind. I mean, it's been what week ten? That's where we are right now. Yeah. Uh, actually, has it? Yeah, no, it's actually week 11. I guess it's week 11. Oh my gosh. Because it started in, uh, what was it, March, right? So March, April, and now May. So yeah, we were we on are... vacation. Let's see. We did our DC trip March 9th to March 11th. And then I just never came back to the office after that. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Golly. yeah. Well, then this topic is more appropriate than ever because today, y'all, we're going to be talking about Mental Health Awareness Month, which is right now during the month of May. And obviously mental health right now, I'm talking about it, has been more important than ever uh, because coronavirus has been impacting us in so many ways. And mental health is actually a huge crossover uh, with child welfare as well. So Joe, I want you to guess what percentage of kids in the child welfare system have some kind of mental health diagnosis? Um... What percentage of kids have a, di- a diagnosis of mental, some kind of mental health problem? Specifically um, in the child welfare system. I'm going to guess 35, 40%. 40%. 40% is the number. Am I, am I close? Well, uh, sorry to break it to you, but you are nowhere near close. The actual number of kids in the child welfare system who have a mental health diagnosis is 80% of all of our kids. Wow. Yeah. That is compared to 20% of people who will experience a mental health diagnosis sometime during their lifetime. It's literally four times the amount of their peers. And so according... that's, That's like out of control. I had no idea. Yeah, no, that number is insanely high. But I mean, when you think about it, our kids have been through so much. And like the most common ones are post-traumatic stress disorder, panic and anxiety disorders, major depression, and then drug and alcohol abuse, which when you think of all of the trauma that our kids have gone through, sure. then it kind of clicks together. And it's just like, I can, I can understand why that number has gotten so high. Sure. Absolutely. And, and you know, what I've learned over time, I knew the number was high. I didn't think it was as high as it is, but I knew that the number was relatively high compared to the general population. But what I've learned is that our kids express themselves in vastly different ways because of that type of stress that they're under. Right. So there's an increase in anxiety. There's an increase in self-harming behaviors. 
there's an increase in substance abuse. Uh, they run away. Uh, so there's like countless ways that they wind up expressing, uh, you know, the, the, the stress that they're under, the mental stress that they're yeah. under. And it really is uh, unfortunate because it's most of the challenges that they face and most of the stress that they face is something that can be treated with the right counseling right. and the right interventions up front. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I mean, I think part of the challenge that we have is trying to address those things up front. Because kids with mental issues, mental challenges, mental health challenges, become adults with mental health challenges that have become exacerbated, right? Because yeah. after a while, they become so ingrained that it's much, much harder to treat those folks. Mm -hmm. uh, not impossible, but it's just much harder. And so right. uh, it really is a critical part of, I think, the system as a whole. Um, you know, I think in the old days, the child welfare the system days. used to focus, yeah, like the old days, like you know, the nineteen nineties. Uh, years ago, the child the child welfare system would focus on just foster care and kids in foster care and adoptions, right? So it was, we're, you know, we need to find a place for this kid. We're going to find a home for this child. We're going to place them, and then kind of hope for the best. I think over time, especially with the creation of community based care lead agencies, um, you know. Uh, there's been a focus on a more holistic approach to child welfare. So now you've got people paying attention to not only physical health, but mental health and education mm -hmm. and just the overall well-being of not only the child, but the family in order to really help that child thrive and be successful and eventually get out of the foster care system, get out of the state system and, yeah. and, and just go back to, uh, you know, a regular old day-to-day -day routine. Um, and so, you know, it really is a critical part of what uh, we do uh, in the child welfare system. Yeah, I mean, we absolutely have to, because as we talk about quite often, there's a stigma that's out there that people think foster kids are bad. Oh, yeah. But they've done terrible things because they act out. But in reality, like I always say, you know, they have had really terrible things done by people who they trusted. Right. And so it's... When you're young, I mean, even even right now, it's so hard sometimes for adults to be able to appropriately navigate their emotions. And we're seeing that exacerbated times a million right now during coronavirus and just the different ways that, you know, it's starting to get to people and the behaviors that they're having because of that. But we're here expecting kids who are 12, 13, 8, whatever, to be these picture-perfect angels, <laughs> despite going through, you know, some of the most traumatic moments that you and I will never have to experience. Right. Well, and I, well, I was just going to say, I've told, you know, as, as, as we go through and advocate for um, resources and advocate for legislation that really supports the children in the system, I have told countless legislators, countless business leaders, countless community uh, leaders that these are kids, these are good kids that bad people have done bad things to. And the mm -hmm. stigma that these kids face is really That's misplaced. Awesome. It's a, it's yeah. really misplaced because bad people do bad things to good kids. And mm -hmm. it's unfortunate. Um, you know, we're, we always say that we're the only business, the only industry trying to put ourselves out of business. Uh, because we would love it if child welfare wasn't needed, if, if we didn't right, need yeah. a, a way to protect children. Um, you know, if every family was well adjusted and safe and happy, we wouldn't have these problems. But unfortunately, it's not realistic. We know that there's always going to be 
some problem in some family somewhere that puts a child at risk. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. a lot of those problems stem from mental health um, yeah. and the problems that stem from mental health. So, you know, so a mental health issue turns into a substance abuse issue, which then turns into a physical abuse issue. Right. Uh, and so, you know, unfortunately, we're always going to be around. The system is always going to be needed in one way, shape or form. But certainly we can do things, I think, to help alleviate some of those problems, prevent those problems up front, which is why we focus so much on prevention. Yeah. Um, and mental health is really in need um, of significant resources to be able to jump in early and often and make sure that these challenges are addressed in a way that prevent any problems in the future. Exactly. Like I can tell you specific kids that I work with in our system who are there not because they were abused, but because their parents had significant mental health issues that were just not getting treated. And so these kids became the parents. We had one young woman who was a former Curse for Kids recipient, and her name is Claudia. And I can say that because her story, I published it pretty widely when I was still doing PR and communications with her permission. And Part of her story is just that her mom had undiagnosed bipolar disease. And so Claudia was having to just move all of the time. Every month she was at a new home. She was, you know, at this point not going to school. She was going between different states and it was just completely unstable. And she was 14 at this point, just trying to keep a roof over their heads. And it just became too much to the point that she herself called DCF to, you know, put in a report to the hotline because she just didn't know what to do anymore. Right. And then we have yet another young man that I work with and his parents were schizophrenic and they just started hearing things. And, you know, he just had no idea how to help them, how to cope. And so it was the same thing where he's just like, "I, I don't know what to do anymore. And I need an adult to help handle this situation. And it's so difficult because mental health is just something that's oftentimes not talked about or we just label people as crazy. And so then it makes them afraid to seek help or afraid to talk about the different things that they're feeling because they don't want to be you know, ostracized from society or given that very negative label and view. And so then those problems just continue to exacerbate. So I think part of the issue is that also we're just, we're not talking about it. And I think that's changing. One thing I find fascinating that I actually talked to my husband about quite a bit is that I, I kind of see, and maybe it's just a social media thing and maybe it's just younger generations, but mental health labels are kind of worn with pride. Like, I don't know if that's something that you've seen. They're actively talking about their depression or they're talking about their anxiety and they're being okay to open up. So I don't know. Do you think that that tide is changing a little bit about how taboo these conversations are to have? So, yes, I, I kind of think that. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would say, so are you, are you basically saying that you think it's people have just become more comfortable talking about it? Like just broadly, like more willing to, more willing to admit that they're maybe suffering from something? Is that kind of the point you're making? Yeah. And I'm kind of wondering if it's a backlash from, you know, social media right now as you see a lot of people trying to portray their picture-perfect lives. Mm-hmm. And I think it's starting to go in the opposite direction where people are rebelling against that and want to show what's real. And so they're being more sure. okay and more comfortable talking about, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I absolutely 100% agree with that. I think I think that there's a lot of people, you know, if you look on Facebook, people are 
they, they have these picture perfect lives and they have all these, you know, beautiful, beautiful photos at the beach and, um, you know, these perfect dinners and no one's life is like that. <laughs> even, even yeah. the wealthiest people that I've ever met don't have lives that perfect all the time. Yeah. And so really it's become this manicured lifestyle where people pretend um, to be way more materialistic, way more perfect, way more put together than they really are um, because they're human beings. At the end of the day, we're all human beings. We all have flaws. We all have our challenges. We all have our issues. And even people with the best of lives struggle. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. what's, I think you're 100% correct. I think there is a backlash because there's a lot of people who don't do that. And they look at these things and they're constantly bombarded with these photos of perfection, mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes false perfection, fake perfection, but they're constantly bombarded with it. And after a while, it's easy to believe that, Hey, I want those things. Why can't I have those things? And then What's maybe start, and, yeah, I'm not living right? the same perfect yeah. life that they are. Yeah, right. You start questioning, like, why don't I have these things? Am I not, yeah. am I not good enough? Am I not cool enough? Am I, am I not, you know, pretty enough or whatever it might be. And, you know, I think that really does take a toll on people's psyche. Right. And when, and I, you know, for adults that have lived a little bit of life and kind of understand some of these things, it might be a little bit easier to get past that for a lot of kids, you know, 13 year olds, 14 year olds, 15 year olds that are very impressionable and that are literally defining the way that the world should be for the rest of their lives now. Right. They're 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 going through that process now. of What mm -hmm. expectations should be in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and kind of, you know, what things should be and what things should look like and what they should have and be entitled to or whatever the case may be. And entitlement's a whole separate conversation. But oh, don't but, get me started. <laughs> but the, yeah. Right. I mean, it's like everyone thinks that they're entitled to everything these days. But but the definition of what they think is good and fun and perfect is really being impacted by that type of stuff. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think you're hundred percent right. I think a lot of this is a result of people like people are anxious because you know what, what, what is it that new, um, that new, it's not really new anymore, but that term FOMO, right. The fear of missing, missing out. out. Yeah. Yeah. Like everybody's freaking out now because they see their friends all went to dinner on Tuesday night and they had to work. So now they feel like they missed out on this huge earth shattering event when really it was just dinner. And yeah. it's no big deal. And there'll be another one next week or the week after or two weeks mm -hmm. from now or three weeks from now, whatever it might be. And, you know, people just, I think, have this real bad misconception of the way things should be. And I, I really do think I agree with you. I think it manifests itself in um, depression, anxiety, uh, stress um, yeah. and, you know, other things that aren't really necessarily maybe scientific in nature, but things like jealousy. Right. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of that stuff starts to really kind of emerge and it impacts your friendships. It impacts Absolutely. your relationships with your family. Uh, it impacts you at work. Um, you know, it starts to impact your health. And mm -hmm. so it really, you know, it's a, it's a really big wide ranging issue that should be uh, addressed. I can't even imagine being a kid right now. Oh no. In this generation where this is they are bombarded with this yeah, no thanks. 24 seven. And I mean, especially for our kids that are in foster care, you see these cultivations, like we talked about the picture perfect life. Well, it's kind of feeling like your life is here in shambles. And I can't even imagine the extra added degree of, you know, whatever, whatever those pain points are and how that's just even more emotionally hurtful during the time where you're already yeah. feeling super vulnerable. It's just, 
It's well, it's really difficult, and I don't I think, envy the younger generation. Yeah, I think it's because you know we grew up in a time. Well, I grew up in a time because you're younger than me by a lot, I think. But um, <laughs> but I I mean I grew up in a time where you still had to knock on people's doors and ask if they wanted to come out and play. Right. Oh, that's so, me. Get so, out of here. I mean, maybe sort of, but I mean, I literally would have to go down the street and ask for my friends, ask if my friend Jay, my friend Herbie, uh, you know, if they Can could I come out outside and play. And yeah, that's, I mean, I would literally, yeah. and their mother would answer the door and she would, you know, give you the once over to make sure that you weren't up to no good. And then, you know, if they were okay to come out, if they had done their homework or whatever it might be, then they came out and we played and, and the thing about that was we saw each other. So we knew that what was going on was real, right? There was no, there was no mm-hmm. fake photos of what I did that afternoon, like whitewater rafting or anything crazy. There was no like <laughs> really manicured, per- perfect Abercrombie looking snowball fight, right? It was, we got on our sleds, we stood up on them and we surfed down a hill in snow and then we threw snowballs at each other. Like that's what happened. Yeah, And yeah. you know, I mean, it, that was actually perfect because it was real. Mm-hmm. You know, now you've got all these things that are manufactured. And I mean, you see it even in public when you walk around, you see people like they fix their hair and they take these really perfect that are supposed to be impromptu photos, but they're not impromptu. They're staged like 12 times. Yeah. I saw and you then, posing you know, me on for a solid 10 minutes. So yeah, I mean, I just, it's so perfect lighting. Yeah. And so that, that's got to bother people. At the end of the day, that's really got to, when, when you see that and you don't know that someone took that photo 12 times and then used the 12th one because it was the best one, you know, that's not someone's normal life. That's all staged. Yeah. And unfortunately, I do think that it, it's impacted people quite a bit. Um, and I don't, the, the sadder part is I don't really see an end to it, right? I don't see an, I, th- I think a lot of people are starting to maybe rebel from it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I don't see an end to it. I still see, you know, massive amounts of people taking these photos, uh, you know, kind of pretending yeah. a little bit. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I I think now more than ever, the country needs to shift its focus and really put some resources into mental health. And we haven't even talked about, um, you know, hot issues like gun violence and how mental health impacts gun violence, because, you know, there's the old saying, right? Uh, uh, guns don't kill people, people kill people. Right. Um, well, you know, if you look at the m- vast number of shootings that have occurred in this country, those those folks have been diagnosed with some form of significant mental health issue overwhelmingly. And so at what point do we recognize as a society that it's not only not good for like just regular adjustment as a human being, but it also leads to things that impact society, like mass shootings and drug abuse and crime and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Like at, at some point, we have to kind of wake up and pump some significant resources into the issue of mental health to help solve this problem because more and more people are being diagnosed each day. Yeah. And it's a critical thing that we that we start to pay attention to it. Yeah, thinking about social media and all of the things that you've said about the the 12 pictures and getting the lighting and you'll be on the beach and you see uh, spouses or significant others in these crazy poses on the ground just to make sure that they're getting the right angle. Stuff like that drives me absolutely bananas. Right. Um, Because we just all know that that's not what real life is like. And so one of the things that, I mean, at this point, 
I think everyone knows, you know, our listeners know that I'm pretty open. And that's just because I don't, I don't believe in all of this stuff. And it's really difficult being in the position, I think that you and I both find ourselves in, where, you know, I, I'm on TV, and I do this, and I'm meeting with whoever elected official, and we're at these really nice events. And so there's this idea of our lives are so put together, and we have it made. And it's just like, yeah, that's what you see, but that's not what's actually happening behind the scenes. And so I try right. to be super open about everything that I've been through. And so that's why, you know, right now I'm, I've gotten to the point where I'm comfortable talking about the abuse that I've experienced in my childhood. Cause there's the idea of like, oh, are these people just like have it so easy and they're so privileged. It's like, no, people have stories that you don't know anything about. And it's all about overcoming adversity to get to where they are. And so being open about sharing that. Even right now, you know, I've long suffered with depression and struggled with anxiety. And I actually have clinically diagnosed anxiety that I take medicine for because otherwise, as Joe will tell you, I can get like very neurotic and obsessive about things. And that's no, that's not true. <laughs> oh my goodness. You're coming into my office and I'm freaking out about something and you're like, I need you to take a deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? Sometimes I think you suffer from a shortage of oxygen because you just go into hyperdrive like automatically. Yeah, but it's it's really difficult. And like I can't even talk about just like the way because you know that it's happening, but you can't do anything about it. Like once you're there, you're there. And like we had a company presentation that I gave maybe a month ago where I was talking about. Which, which Which you did a wonderful job on, by the way. Thank you. I you appreciate a, it. You did a great job. And I got a lot of positive feedback from a lot of folks on that uh, that particular presentation. So that was great. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that with me. I made my morning. Well, great. Great. Now, <laughs> hopefully you won't be as anxious now. Well, I was bringing that up because part of what I talked about is phone anxiety. And my phone anxiety is so severe that our COO called me because I emailed him a question about a resource that a single mom was, you know, inquiring about. And I sent him the voicemail and I texted him, hey, sorry, I can't talk right now. What's up? And so, I don't know. I've just, I've seen being real and being open and just not trying to hide behind whatever image as something that's super important to me. And especially as we're, going through with our chats with the podcast, these are real topics and they need to be attached to real people. And so Mm -hmm. often we just want people to see these glamorized versions of our lives that it's Mm -hmm. just a huge aspect of human connection is being lost right now. Um, And like we said, we see that in so many different ways. We see that uh, when it comes to gun violence, uh, which is one of the things that we have been talking about with, you know, not to say that we know what would happen if these services were offered to this person, but it's just, it's, it's, things are happening in silos because society is not having that same connectedness. And so it's, there's so many ways that we could step in, but we're not able to, because we don't know what people are going through right now. Right. Well, and I think, a critical part, as I mentioned earlier, is that we need to start really focusing on providing resources to those groups, those agencies, those partnerships that focus on uh, that, you know, these types of issues, mental health issues, right? And so when you think about the impact of mental health, forget about the social media stuff, because I think we could all stipulate that that has an impact in some way, shape, or form 
on the way people think about themselves today versus the way they did in, say, 1980 or 1990. Um, mm -hmm. I think it has forever altered the way that we view ourselves and view each other, right? There's There seems Absolutely. to be this really tremendous pressure to, like, present this view of ourselves that's, like, perfect and beyond reproach. And, you know, mm -hmm. I have and, you know, look at all these great things and you know, driving past the beach and stopping and taking a photo and then posting living that beach life does not make it that you've been living that beach life. It means that you stop and <laughs> pull over and take a photo, right? And that's what a lot of people do, right? They're like, oh my God, pull over. And then they, you know, they post it like they've been there for two weeks and it's, you know, it's not very realistic, but that's neither here nor there. I think the more realistic issue is the impact that it has on homelessness, the impact that it has mm -hmm. on crime. The impact yeah. that it has on the economy in general, the impact that it has on the healthcare system, the impact that it has on the judicial system. These are real things that constantly, constantly impact our community, right? I mean, it, it impacts our, our financial stability as a community, right? Because the government winds up spending valuable resources on services after the fact. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it impacts our school system. It impacts, you know, just the overall health of our community. And so we really need to focus on, I think, getting more resources into the hands of those agencies, organizations, the hospitals, the behavioral health centers, um, all of these types of facilities that are there to serve this wide swath of people, because you've got homeless people with significant mental health issues. We've all seen it, right? We've yeah. all seen when we're driving down the street, we've seen a homeless person talking to themselves and not in like that way that, you know, you're sitting there and kind of having a conversation with yourself to work something out. They're yelling at themselves or they're yelling at random strangers when they walk by, or that's a mental health issue. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make them a criminal. But I'm pretty sure mental health is one of the primary causes of homelessness. I'm, I'm absolutely. Yeah. But I think the, the, the point is that like that person isn't a criminal. Right. They're sick. And they, they need, need help. We, they need help. And if no. we don't provide them that help, they're always going to be in that position. They're always going to be kind of that person on the corner yelling at strangers as they walk by and, you know, trying to find a place to crash for the night and, you know, inconveniencing some business owner or perhaps even, you know, assaulting someone or whatever it might be. And it it's not because they're criminals. It's because they're sick and they don't have the help and the support that they need to right. kind of get themselves back on the right track. And so we talk about that all the time, you and I do, and our guests do. We talk about getting people, getting families back on the right track, getting mm -hmm. kids healthy, getting families healthy. Well, that goes for everybody in society, really. I mean, we in the child welfare industry, you know, we're very focused on children and families. But all of this impacts society, including children and families, right? Because, you know, that homeless person is someone's father or someone's mother or someone's son or someone's brother or whatever it might be. That homeless person had a family at some point. Yeah. Um, they had a job at some point. Uh, they contributed to society at some point. And so it's important that we try to restore that uh, to those folks. And so, you know, I mean, we have all these really just, they're absolute heroes out in the community who do this work and who, you know, they work with the homeless they work uh, with the criminal justice system. They work with all these different folks to try and, and, and help these people out, support these folks out, uh, or support these folks, I should say, sorry. But at the end of the day, they're still significantly lacking in resources. And uh, I really do believe that it's one of those things where if we invest significantly upfront, the mm -hmm. savings in the long run 
will be exponential. Yeah. One of the things, so we actually just put out a blog post um, that is coming out June 2nd. So it'll be a little bit after this. So stay tuned. Um, But the topic is 10 ways to avoid ACEs, which are adverse childhood experiences during a pandemic. And so part of it is talking about stress and how the increased stress from everything that we're experiencing right now dealing with COVID-19 causes adults to reach their breaking point. And that tends to be when most child abuse happens. And so I'm looking for the point. Here it is. So it's um, one of the things that's really important is addressing parental mental health because depression tends to be most common, but it's also super treatable. And so it's talking about the different risk factors and what are some common signs that we're all able to step in with, which happens to be anger and irritability, loss of energy, loss of interest in daily activities, and feeling helpless and hopeless. And so I think sometimes when we talk about mental health, the focus tends to only be towards the... uh, kind of that representation of the homeless, like we were just talking about, that are Mm -hmm. clearly going through some things. But it can also be very understated as well. And that's why so often, especially with the kids that we work with in child welfare, sometimes it can be difficult to pinpoint because we see one symptom, which is, you know, our child isn't eating. And by itself, that doesn't necessarily make someone think, I should, I should, see if there's a deeper thing going on here and try and work with that to understand what it is where they're able to uncover, okay, our child has depression, our child has anxiety, our child has whatever to get them the support that they need. And Mm -hmm. so that's why Mental Health Awareness Month, which is right now, the month of May, is so, so important so that we were able to have these conversations and, you know, speak out on those nuances and just really get the word out there because mental health is one of the most underfunded areas of both research and treatment uh, in our country. And it, it's so unfortunate when we look at just how many people that it impacts on a daily basis. And so one of the things I'm also, I don't want to say I'm grateful for COVID because that's not the case, but it, it's bringing to light is just the different ways and the coping mechanisms that we all have and how we're able to navigate that and bringing those discussions to light. Sure. And so I'm trying to, let's see, where's my outline here? Because one of the things that I was finding is compared to this time last year, calls to NAMI, which is the National Association of Mental Illness, have actually gone up 41% uh-huh. from this time last year, sure. which is astronomical. That's that's just, that's so huge um, because mental health, as we've talked about, is something that people feel uncomfortable seeking hope for. It's something that people are often suffering through in silence. And right, so- because no one, wants, no one wants to admit in, in the stereotypical way, no one wants to be a crazy person, right? And so- that's the stereotype that people have is that if you have any kind of mental health issue, you're crazy. That's not the case, but no one wants to call and have to ad- admit to someone that they're struggling with someone because it's a sign of, or struggling with something because it's a sign of weakness. Uh, no one wants to admit that uh, they might have some disorder or some issue that mm-hmm. is treatable, but they just refuse to admit it because, again, it's a sign of weakness. They don't want to be labeled as a crazy, quote, crazy person or insane or whatever it might be. 
all these right. really nasty stereotypes that have been assigned to people uh, that try to get help. Yeah. And you know, you, hard. you actually, you actually started earlier by asking me a number about the kids, you know, how many kids in the child welfare system are affected because that's something that we always do, right? We always kind of, as you pointed out, silo, you know, oh, it must be a homeless problem. Oh, it must be a child welfare problem. That's why they're in the system because they have a mental health issue or whatever it might be. But the CDC, I'll give you a question. I'll ask you a, qu a little pop quiz. All right. Over the past 20 years, since 2000, can you take a guess how, what percentage uh, that the suicide rate in this country has increased by? Oh, wow. Um, since 2000. 2000? Uh, 26%. Oh, wow. Exceptionally close. 25%. We've had a 25% increase Golly. in suicides in this country. But yeah, so it's increased 25%. Which is out of control. I mean, the, that is it, that is probably the biggest reflection of the fact that we have wow. a growing population. We have a growing awareness of the issues that people in this country face. But there has not been a corresponding growth in the amount of resources being put into it. And so yeah. if, there was, if there was ever a number that is more reflective of that problem, that challenge, it's the suicide rate in this country. It's it's out of control. Absolutely. I mean, yes, there's a suicide hotline that exists, but the real question is when someone's feeling these feelings, I, I doubt they know where to go. I think that part of the reason that you and I are aware of the hotline number is because the field that we work in. Um, but for the average Joe who's just feeling all these things swirling inside, they're feeling despair. Knowing the resources that you can turn to is is not that easy when there's so few that are out there and they're sure. not spending their money on marketing dollars or spending their money on like the services to be able to treat people. Sure. And so right. wow, twenty five percent that's that's much more than I imagined that it would be. I'm very curious to see what that looks like when you translate that over to the child welfare system. I mean, I don't actually think I want to know what that looks like when it translates over to the child welfare system, because the whole thing is just, I think in so many ways, we're failing our kids, we're failing young people, we're failing kind of everyone by not addressing this and taking it as seriously. And I mean, you talked about people not wanting the label. When I first was formally diagnosed with anxiety, like I had a really difficult time coping with that because it, the whole, you know, idea of like, being crazy or, you know, just there's feeling like there's something wrong with you of not being a person that has anxiety, but like that being a thing that like defines you on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I know as me as a kind of emotionally competent person took a, had a real struggle and a real difficulty accepting that. So that is, that is a thousand percent true. What you said, that being a huge deterrent for also seeking out and talking to someone. So one of the things that I love about here in Central Florida and our child welfare system is that these are conversations that are happening. And we have we have several organizations that are dedicated to focusing on mental health with children and families and serving as a support to help these children avoid coming into the child welfare system. Because again, if we're able to treat kids and the risk of abuse and neglect when they're still in their homes, that is by far our number one uh, biggest 
priority because we want to make sure that kids are able to stay with their families when at all possible. And so we want to give a huge shout out and kudos to Families First of Florida, the Federation of Families, and Breakthrough for all of the amazing work that they're doing because this is challenging and it's hard and it's difficult, but the services that they provide to families are unparalleled and they help so many people come together and to feel like they're not alone. And so I just think that the work that they do is really commendable. Yeah, there's an amazing number of partners in the community um, that, you know, all contribute, even the governments, the county governments have mental health uh, initiatives that they, that they support. Um, you know, the hospital systems all have um, some form of mental health program that they support. Uh, and as we've talked about in the past, Central Florida and really the state of Florida is really good at building relationships and uh, kind of those interconnected uh, partnerships between industries, between regions. Um, and so, you know, we benefit from that, especially in Central Florida, we benefit from that because, you know, the, the hospitals cooperate with the child welfare agencies who cooperate with the school systems, who cooperate with, you know, the judicial system and everyone's just kind of growing in the same direction that the, I think the big challenge isn't whether or not people understand it's an issue. Uh, I don't think it's whether or not people want to solve the issue. Uh, I think it's whether or not people, organizations have the resources to actually address the issue. Um, and once we get over that hump, I think things will be a lot smoother uh, in, in addressing some of the challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you're struggling right now, we just want you to know that you're not alone and the Kaiser Family Foundation had a poll where apparently half the people in the United States report that the pandemic is negatively affecting their mental health. So the feelings that you have, they're real, they're valid, they matter. Uh, there are so many resources that are out there. And specifically for those of you who are in Central Florida, we'll go ahead and put some up on our blog if this is something that's affecting you as well. Just hang in there, y'all. We're in this together and we just want you to know that we are we are riding this wave along with you. That's right, Danielle. And, and for those folks that are listening, that are facing a challenge, that do feel like they need help, they should call uh, SAMHSA's National Helpline. And so um, there's a group out there. There's a uh, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration is kind of like a major national, they have a major national helpline that exists to provide people with support and give them direction as to where they can, they can go to get help. And so that number is 1-800-662-HELP or 1-800-662-4357. And if people are struggling, they shouldn't be afraid. They shouldn't be nervous. They shouldn't be embarrassed. They should take the steps that they need to take to help themselves because that's why this, this line exists. And it's mm -hmm. really important that people take advantage of. Absolutely. Please do not feel afraid to call for help. Please don't feel that any kind of label makes you any less of who you are because you are all wonderful. And so there's, there's resources that are out there and we really encourage you to, even though it can be scary to take advantage of them. It's so important for your emotional and mental well being, as well as those who love you. So let's go on to a little bit of housekeeping. So the Fane House is having a gala on August 8th. And so you can find more information about that on our blog. Under news, we have sections where we talk about events. And 
otherwise, the only thing that we also have going on is we're still working super hard on the keys bill. We actually had a conference call over the weekend. And so we are looking forward to being able to share more updates about that progress and where we are as it comes available. Uh, so we are on uh, waiting on pins and needles to find out kind of where this is going and what our timeline is. And so we look forward to sharing that with you all as soon as more things are coming together. Uh, the best way to support our podcast is to give us a five-star rating interview because algorithms and all that jazz, that just helps us reach more uh, excited listening ears. So if you could go ahead and click that button, we would very much appreciate it. You can follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is Future Effect FL on all three of them. And that is Effect with an E. And then lastly, if you'd like us to share any news or events about your child welfare organization, or you would like to suggest a topic or guest for future episodes, you can go ahead and email us, email me directly. And that's dlevine, and that's L-E-V-I-E-N at futureeffect.org. We're not scary. We're a lot of fun. And we would absolutely love to hear from you because we want to make sure that what we're talking about and the people that we have are those who are able to provide insight in the child welfare system and people that our listeners are excited to listen to you. So y'all, what we do together today will create a bright, resilient tomorrow for all. This is The Future Effect. See you next time. Oh my goodness. By the grace of God, we somehow... (laughs) (laughs) Good, Good times today, lady. Good times today.